Well, that was the opening music to The Lavender Hill Mob, released in 1951 by Ealing Studios, who also released Kind Hearts and Coronets that we reviewed. And it was directed by Charles Crichton from an original screenplay by T.E.B. Clark and stars Alec Guinness, Stanley Holloway, Sidney James, Alfie Bass, and some other folks. I liked Edie Martin as Miss Eversham. She was character. Yes. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from sunny North Bend today. And this is Bob Johnson in sunny Los Angeles, welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and our visit with the Lavender Hill Mob, a motley crew, if there ever was one. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Fun movie, though. It, it, uh, it showed the range of talent that Alec Guinness had. He played uh, everything from Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars to uh, the Colonel in Bridge on the River Kwai to uh, he played King Faisal in, in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. And then this along with many others. And don't forget the Descoyne family. How could I forget all eight of him? Yeah. <laughs> what a talent. Yes. He had a long career. Uh, from 1946 to 1994. And even today, his, I think I haven't watched the last two Star Wars, but I believe he reappears, at least in voice but I may be mistaken on that. No, I think there's a, little, there's a little bit of audio from some of the earlier movies, I think, as a callback. So this movie uh, also starred uh, Stanley Holloway, and uh, Mr. Holloway uh, was in... Was, <laughs> he was in everything. He was in stage plays, films, television. He did, like, 70 films, lived to be 90... And uh, people may remember him in uh, My Fair Lady from 1964. Or Great Agatha Christie Murder Mystery, Ten Little Indians from 1965. He's Detective William Bloor. Oh, and he was also in Brief Encounter, I'm seeing here. Oh, was that right? Which we reviewed, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I wonder. Oh, yes, he was, he was hanging around the lunchroom. Yeah, I think he was That's in the right. lunchroom at the train station. He was a bothersome, annoying man <laughs> that was bothering the woman that was running the lunch stand. Now I remember that. Gosh, it's amazing. Some of these people, like he, his career started uh, in 1910 on the stage. It's a long, long time to be active. So... Uh, it was released in June of 1951 and did very well. And uh, I was thinking to myself as I watched it again, what could possibly go wrong with this deluxe plan that Alec cooked up in his head? He had never done a robbery, neither had Stanley. 
And then they enlisted these two other guys who, yeah. who, who, I like the way they were introduced to one another, but these other two guys, I'm losing my names here. Uh, that was uh, Sidney James plays Lackery, and Alfie and Bass plays Shorty. Shorty. And these two were perpetual, perpetual criminals. So anyway, uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty simple plot, really. Allegheny's has spent years hauling bullion back and forth in an armored car truck with guards so that it can be melted down into a different form. And he makes a and, point of saying that it's impossible to smuggle bullion out in that in that form. Because he, he's he's got a he's got the long game going. He's been in that job for twenty years, building up. <laughs> this stellar reputation as being super dependable and not very creative and not very smart, but, you know, really dependable guy and honest. That's basically what his boss said. Oh, thanks, Holland. Everything quite in order? Yes, sir. Silly question. 20 years, nothing's ever been out of order yet. Uh, that'll do, Holland. Why don't you give that poor old devil a chance? Surely, after all this time, he deserves a leg up. Oh, I'm afraid it wouldn't work, sir. His one and only virtue is honesty. He's no imagination, no initiative, sir. He's dependable and not very bright. I loved Guinness because he knew exactly what he was doing. He'd flash his eyes through those horn-rimmed glasses like, uh, you may think I'm dumb, but I'm going to be really rich. Yeah, he's, he's really been, rich. So he's been planning this, this uh, not murder, this uh, robbery for 20 years. Essentially, right? I mean, that's kind of the way I read that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His lifelong ambition had been to to steal so much gold he would never have to work again. And and the way the movie starts is interesting. It begins with Alec sitting in a South American deluxe restaurant with this other gentleman, handing out money to everybody that comes by and saying what a wonderful time he's had. And I know I had noticed it in the previous films, but uh, when I watched it, but in this one I could see that his left hand was always hidden, and later in the film we found out why. But well, but when I I've never seen the movie before, and I I, I like that it started off, and you're like, oh, he got away with it. That's so cool. Like, how did he how did he get away with this big robbery? Because, you know, once you kind of understand what the plot is, you're like, oh, he's already in Brazil, and he's already escaped, yeah. and so. Obviously, this plan must have worked out. <laughs> uh, and, and a surprise for me, again, that I had not noticed before, is one of the uh, people that come up to his table uh, in, in uh, South America, is he, are they in Rio or Buenos Aires? I, can't I, don't, I don't know if they ever said I don't know that it's really clear. But anyway, Audrey Hepburn mm -hmm. makes, makes a cameo brief appearance long before she became a huge international star it was like and 10 seconds of screen time but it i had to grab my phone and say was that audrey hepburn i had to go to imdb and, and do a quick search because it yeah that was kind of cool and she i don't think she's credited at all in the film because she was so new to the whole game and uh of course he hands her a whole bunch of money i think he asks her or, or says she should get some more uh, a nice clothing she, she's, she's credited on IMDb here as Chiquita. <laughs> That's Chiquita. her character name. Oh, I was surprised by that. I tell you, I remember uh, 
Speaking of people that show up uh, in revenge of the creature from the Black Lagoon, this is a real segue. One of the lab techs in that movie is Clint Eastwood. Oh, right, yeah. I remember we talked about that, yeah. That was one of his first screen roles, I think. Uh, when they start out, they start somewhere, right? So he's he's telling this story to this person that's with him, and we don't know quite who this person is, except he's smoking this awful cigar. I could just imagine what that was like. Well, I kind of got the feeling like he was bragging, like he was so yes. proud. Of, you oh. know, he was so proud of this plan that they put together, and you know, at that point in the movie, you think, wow, he's he's probably has a right to brag. I mean, obviously, he got away with it, right? So. <laughs> and he's been there quite a while. I forget how long he said he'd been living the good life. But he takes us back in time in his story to uh, his job as the as the person in charge of this bullion shipment. You seem to have accomplished quite a lot in one year. One superb year. That's when I was beginning to believe I'd never achieve it. For 20 years I've dreamed of a life like this, and for 19 of those years, fate denied me the one contact essential to the success of all my plans. Still, I never quite lost sight of the gold, inaccessible as it often seemed to me when I was merely... Uh, merely a non-entity among all those thousands who flock every morning into the city. Most men who long to be rich know inwardly that they will never achieve their ambition. But I was in the unique position of having a fortune literally within my grasp. For it was my job to supervise the deliveries of bullion from the gold refinery to the bank. I guess they went every month. I'm not sure. That was, I don't think that was really clear in the film. And it, like you say, he'd been studying for years and decades on the master plan that would... And his, only, his one glitch was... How am I going to get this bullion out of yeah. the United Kingdom? He I had everything planned out except for how do you smuggle it out. And he's living in this uh, hotel or sort of like a, it's a, a boarding house, rooming, right? Yeah, yeah, rooming out with the, yeah, the landlady, yes, yes. And some of the guests are a little strange. Yeah, I liked how he was reading the murder mysteries to Marjorie Felding's character, Mrs. Chalk. I think that was... Yes! <laughs> <laughs> she waited for him patiently. Every night he would get off work and come back and read some of the mystery. Ah, Mr. Holland, always punctual. I smell oxtail soup again. Oh. Let's see, where do we get? Duke Milligan was about to take a gander at Mickey the Greek's hideout. Oh, yes. Well, here we are. <clears throat> I handed my fedora to a hat-check girl with all that Venus to Mila had gotten them more, and I was admiring them all when I glimpsed something in the back of this frail that set my underwear creeping up on me like it had legs. I know that feeling well. A guy had soft-shoed out of the door from the gaming room as quiet as a snake on tip-belly. And I didn't need my case history of smiling Ed Montana to know that Sonny Boy was his number one trigger man, Ricky the Filipino. I thought it was little boy Schultz who carried the rod for Mr. Montana. It was Mrs. Chalk, but surely you remember. Montana found Schultz taking liberties with that redhead. Yes, yes, they took him for a ride. Only last night, wasn't it? Oh, I must be getting old. Read on, Mr. Holland. Uh, if ever I felt like putting up a new high for the mile of the century, this was the time. <clears throat> And then I thought again of those 10,000 smackaroos. And then he, uh, 
he accidentally or inadvertently meets Stanley Holloway's character, and I, I can't remember. Oh, I, I oh, back up. I, he, he's in Rio. He's in Rio de Janeiro when he's telling his story. But he meets Stanley Holloway, Al Pendlebury. I'm not. I don't remember how they met. Pendlebury. Pendlebury. Yeah. Pendlebury. Um, well, he was moving into the boarding house, and he was making oh, a big was racket. And that he had this it. giant, like, carved, like, bust. Uh, <laughs> and I think it might have been a self-portrait. I'm not sure. He was... <laughs> and he, he just kind of hands it off to Holland, who is Alec Guinness's character, and says, here, hold this. <laughs> and then he's making the, all this racket about where can he put all of his art supplies? And he's, you know, he, he needs some room. And Holland suggests, oh, that's that, right. yes, Holland suggests yes. that they put him in the stable, and so they go back to the stable, and then he starts talking about how he melts down lead to make these souvenir statues. Mr. Pendlebury, just one yes. moment. Oh, the terms of my lease for being... Oh, I see. Steady, steady, steady. steady. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's all right. I had to, I had to cast her in gilding metal. It's a little delicate, you know. Mr. Pendlebury. I did it at my factory. Interesting process. You must come and see one of these Mr. days. Mr. Pendlebury! <laughs> All these... Wa- and you can just see the light in Holland's eyes go off, and he's like, aha, you melt down I've... lead. That's <laughs> kind of like gold, right? <laughs> I've found the perfect answer. Uh, and, and, and so now he, uh, he draws uh, Al into this plot, but they still have, they have to work out all the details, and they're short a couple of henchmen. Yeah, they need four people at least for his plan because Holland has this whole thing planned out. And now that he's got somebody who can melt the gold down, they just need to execute on the plan. But there's there's a glitch in the plan because his boss decides that, well, after 20 years, you know, maybe you do deserve a, a raise and a, and a promotion. So starting next week, you're going to be promoted out of this job. And, and Holland's like, but no, I'm too old to change. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh gosh, the Eiffel Tower comes to mind, and uh, he he puts this to his new friend. He says, "By Jove, Holland, it's a good job. We're both. It's a good job, and we're both honest men. It is indeed, Pendlebury. But in the whole in the whole scheme of things, they're both going to do this gigantic robbery." Yeah, I calculated how much money they uh, oh. sold. It was about $37 million in today's dollars. I'm, that's a fantastic <laughs> amount of money. That would more than pay uh, Holland for all those years of drudgery. Yeah, that's or, for sure. Or, or as his nickname turns out to be, Dutch. Dutch, yeah, I love that, Dutch. <laughs> Dutch. I wonder where he came. I'm sure that came from one of his murder mystery novels. Oh, yeah, Probably. Because I think he was like living out this alternate life in, through reading those books, you know, and he's imagining himself as this master criminal. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got the most boring job in the world, you know. Like just... His life up to this point had been sleep, get up, go to work, walk to work or take the, take the uh, tube, get done with work, come home, read that book, have dinner and go to bed. And then just repeat. <laughs> repeat. <laughs> For 20 years. I don't know what he did on the weekends. Probably just read murder mysteries. Yeah, probably. So they decide that they need to get a couple of uh, partners. They need two. But they only have a f- three days to get all this done and planned out and executed. 
And so what yeah, they do was... is they go they go to all these well populated places like the racetrack and the bar, and they talk really loudly <laughs> about how about how Pendleberry has this safe full of uh, payroll money that he uh, needs some help with. Uh, I think he wants to have somebody help him open it because he it's broken or something. I forget what. Oh, the... I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's part of the part of the deal. And and so they're they're <laughs> it's just hilarious how they go about trying to find some people you know they just are hoping that some criminals overhear them and decide oh that's a good plan i'm gonna go over there and steal all the money out of the safe and it works I'm, it worked <laughs> i'm surprised there weren't more people that showed up <laughs> yeah. they, they could they, they, the only way they could have made it wider distribution was to put it on radio or an ad in the paper <laughs> yeah like distribute oh, flyers at the corner <laughs> i was i was surprised though that uh, here holland had spent decades planning this thing and then he finds out that he's going to be promoted and he only has three days to pull this off and there's only one shipment so now they've got to pull everything together all of a sudden it's from slow pace to now i've got to get this done three days yeah or i'll never have a chance again and there's a there's a pretty great like little slapstick scene there in the in the office of uh pendleberry's building because you know, the two of them, Holland and Pendleberry, come in after, uh, I think it was, yeah, Lackery had already gotten there and was trying to break the safe open. And then he just kind of sits down behind the wall and starts eating a sandwich because he's like, who are these two bozos? Yeah. I just got to wait this out because clearly they don't know what they're doing. And then the fourth one shows up, old Shorty. Of course, it's, it's handy. They leave the window open. Into the into the subterranean basement of the foundry, and and so they all oh and then a police officer comes by and sees the window open, and just nonchalantly says to Al, "Oh, you might want to close this." He doesn't check anything out at all. It just <laughs> he must have known Al worked there or something. Well, I think he that was his beat, so he knew like yeah. what was normal and what wasn't normal. And normally the window was closed, but tonight tonight it was open, so. Um, they go through this elaborate kind of prop, prep of trying to get these two guys ready for the, the heist. And <laughs> yeah. one of them needs to learn how to ride a bicycle and one of them needs to learn how to paint in like two days. Right. Do I have to paint? <laughs> couldn't I well, yeah, because <laughs> Lackery's colorblind. It wouldn't make sense to have a purple sky and a green uh, road and buildings. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> At first when I saw this, I, I thought, well, why does he have to paint? But then it, it all reveals itself because he's on the bridge wall uh, up against the wall painting. It's kind of funny <laughs> how uh, the prep work that Holland did all those years paid off, though, because when it comes time to actually execute this plan, the drivers are like so used to his quirks, you know, like he, he's constantly thinking that they're being followed. So he's always making them pull over. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. Then he, and then he makes one of the drivers give him his gun while he goes and checks it out. And so it's just like not even a big deal that they, they get that they pull over. And, you know, this time they really are going to be robbed, but it's an inside job. <laughs> and then it gets a little bit off track uh, with with the uh Al takes a painting out of this street vendor's stall, and the street vendor chases him down, and then calls for the police to come over. and And uh, they and Holland is unaware of this quite yet, but the thing is kind of beginning to unravel a little bit. But by golly, wouldn't you know, 
they were able to pull it off. Yeah, because I think Pendlebury is a little bit absent-minded, and he just walks off with this painting. <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah. It was it was a, a, a very expensive painting of like what three dollars or something like that, and this whole thing starts to go south just because of that. Well, and then they have this chase, and you know they they have to really quickly unload one van and into another van, and meanwhile Pendlebury's been arrested and. And Holland's been tied up to make it look like he was kidnapped, and the police find him, and they bring him to the the police station, and then Holland and Pendlebury see each other, and they both think that they've been arrested, and the whole, the game is up, and and Pen and <clears throat> Holland is giving him this look like, don't say anything, don't say anything, yeah. and Pendlebury's like, we're caught. <laughs> <laughs> but he, well, before before uh, Holland is hauled into the station and he's tied up and he he's they put that terrible tape over his eyes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's he's dancing around in the in the warehouse and then he dances out onto the uh, pier and he's dancing <laughs> around and he he goes flying off into the water into the uh, <laughs> he falls in the water yeah water and, and thinking oh my god he could drown. I thought, oh no, but, we almost lost Alec Guinness again to drowning. It, it couldn't have been a more effective way to make the police think he was a victim. Yeah, because that that part, I think that was unplanned. I don't think he planned it. I think everything after himself. everything after Pendlebury walks off with the painting kind of was uh, ad libbed at that point. It's so. like they say about heist movies: everything is perfect until it all goes wrong. Yeah. So here they are at the police station, and Al comes up with, he says, yeah, I did steal it because it's worth so much money. Everything, I stole the painting. He, he, oh, he right. He says himself. it was worth 10 pounds. And then and the guy goes running off to see if he's got others like that. Yeah, and he says, never mind. I don't want to, I don't want to press charges anymore. So then he's free and Holland is free. And they, they uh, kind of, I think Holland is like giving the police bad information to kind of misdirect them while they're melting down all this gold into the shape of the Eiffel Tower souvenirs. Yeah, he does. He's he's cagey at best. But he seems like he does not seem like a mastermind criminal. So the police, I don't think, suspect him at all. <laughs> no, because his boss kept saying he was not too bright. Yeah, and, and then, then they... they're melting this down, and they're they're all quibbling over how to do it and what to do and are they getting it right and one of the things that i think is kind of important is when they're unloading from the van that they stole that had all the gold that was the bank's van into um pendlebury's van they leave some of it behind and and holland says you know don't worry about it don't worry about it we got enough we got enough and so um it comes back to when they're melting it all down and now uh, I don't know why, they don't really explain why, but Lackery and Shorty don't want to go to Paris with Pendlebury and Holland to actually pick up all this gold. They, they're they just going to, quote-unquote, trust them because they're yeah. so honest. And, and they all agreed that that was good to do. Well, one of the guys, I think it was uh, Lackery, his wife didn't want him to leave. And uh, Shorty, I think, had a ticket to some big horse race that he thought he was going to win. And so they didn't want to go. I don't know why that came up but, at the last minute. Well, okay. <laughs> His wife wants him to stay home, and he's got a ticket that might win at the, at, the, at the track. Or you've got, like, $30 million of gold waiting for you in Paris. <laughs> like, I think that's a little bit more important. 
<laughs> it sort of speaks to their uh, analytical skills, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, then Al has this uh, very sophisticated plan to put all of the Eiffel Tower gold into a, a big shipping c- container that's marked R. Yeah. And, and that's he... supposed to tell everybody to leave it alone. Don't open it. it R. So our heroes, Holland and and Al, go to Paris. And they're happy-go-lucky. They're walking to the Eiffel Tower and up, up the Eiffel Tower to the curio shop. And there must have been four dozen junior high age uh, girls there from a girls' school in Britain buying souvenirs at the curio shop. And Holland and Al walk over and and Al about has a heart attack because he sees this woman has opened the box marked R. And she's been selling these. And and he, he, he told the woman at the souvenir shop at the Eiffel Tower that if you ever get a package marked R, don't open it. Don't, don't sell those. Ah, madame. Ah, but bonjour, Monsieur Pondelbury. Voilà de retour. Very thank you. Que je vous My friend, Mr. Holland. Ah, How do you do? Enchanté. How did that get here? I told you never to use a crate marked R. But that is not an R, monsieur, it is an R. It's an R in English. How many have you sold from that case? Six, monsieur, to the little English girls. (laughs) (laughs) He could have used a little bit better font, you know? It's like... (laughs) Pick a different letter like Z or... I love how these things go, though, because I remember in in another movie, Sterling Hayden, they pull off this, I think it's called The Killing, they pull off this huge multi-million dollar robbery at a horse track, and he puts all the loot in an $8 suitcase (laughs) with these really bad latches on it, and of course, as the suitcase is being loaded at the airport, it opens up and all the money blows all over the airport. I mean, (laughs) there's always some minor glitch. An eight dollar suitcase. My gosh. Well, we should talk about how the rest of it goes. And if you if you haven't watched the movie, um, go watch it first. It's available through the Netflix DVD service. Uh, but we're going to talk about the ending, and then I'm gonna. It's very. I'm going to propose an alternate ending for this movie because I think it could oh, use. Oh, okay. I could use, it, in my opinion, it could use some work. <laughs> so. Well, I, I like the 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 scenes where they they run down the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, and whirling around those stairs and laughing, and he's losing his hat and his coat, and they get down to the bottom, and they just barely all the way back. They they keep missing the uh, the young girls. Yeah, they're trying to catch are... the young girls because they want to get back the six uh, Eiffel Towers, and 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 all, you know Al Pendleberry is like, come on, come on, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's you know we got all the other ones, and let's just get the ones that we've got and get out of here. And, and Holland's like, no, we have to get these back. And he's absolutely and, obsessed with getting these six uh, towers back. Could there have been any more uh, bureaucratic stops for them at the uh, <laughs> at the uh, boat terminal? Yeah, they had to, they had to get the ticket, then they had to go to a different place to show the passport, then they had to go through customs, and, and they kept having to go back and forth. And that, that, that was a bit of slapstick. Yeah, that was a bit of slapstick. That was pretty funny. And then oh, they right. ended up missing the boat anyway because it took so long to go through customs, and so the girls are waving at them because they they've been they've been seeing these two guys chasing them all afternoon, and they're like, eh, "Bye, bye." 
They're waving. Yeah. You, I, was, I was impressed by that one custom agent at the door. He was so indifferent to his job. Yeah, all of them were. And I liked it when the one guy's like, well, did you get the one custom agent's like, well, did you bring any, did you change any cash? And Al is like, yes, I did. He just throws a wad of cash up into the yeah. air. He's like, here's all my cash. Take it. <laughs> just so fed up. <laughs> oh, gosh. So now we fast forward. They have a new plan. Yeah, they get back to London and now they've got to, still, they're still trying to get these statues and so they decide that they're going to go to the school i don't know how i guess they found out the name of the school because the girls had like the name on their coat or something but they go to the school and they tell the headmistress that they need to exchange these six souvenirs because they were experimental and i was like well what what does that mean like how do you have an experimental souvenir But anyway, they're, they're going to give each of the girls 10 pounds and a new souvenir that looks just the same. These gentlemen are from the firm that makes the Eiffel Tower models that some of you bought in Paris. It appears that by a mistake, you were sold a new experimental type, which they're anxious to have back. They'll exchange them for others equally good. Also, and I consider this most generous. They will give 10 shillings to each girl who helps them in this way. To each girl who helps them in this way. Who bought the sixth one? Who bought the sixth? June Edwards bought one. You have one too, have you, dear? Where is it, June? In here? No, I don't say it, June, dear. Wouldn't you like to have ten shillings and, a, and another one just as nice? Oh, come, come. Think of all the speeches you could buy with this. There we are. <laughs> just as pretty, isn't it? Really, June. Look at them together and you'll see. There's no difference, is there? Now, come on, tell us. What's the difference? That one's mine. And all the girls, except for one, is super excited about that. And the one is a holdout. And she says, no, it's mine. I'm not giving it back. And they, they just get this look on their face. Uh, Al and, and Dutch, we'll just call them Dutch from now on, um, are like, well, now what do we do? So they start, they wait outside the school and then they start <laughs> following her. And I'm like, what are they going to do, Robert? And I'm like, this is getting so creepy. They're like stalking this little girl who's like 10 years old or something or 12 years old. <laughs> and it's perfect that she wants to give this statue, the Eiffel Tower, to her friend who's a police officer. Don't just call him the friend. It's her boyfriend. Oh, that's right. It's her boyfriend. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then, and then. I think they even call her his girlfriend. And I'm like, okay, this is just not landing well in 2020. Like, this is super creepy. Because <laughs> we don't know who this guy is. Is he an uncle? Is he a, uh, is it her dad? Is it like just some friend that they have? Or is this a pedophile? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> so they have to follow her to the Hendon Police College. Wouldn't you know? Where they're having an exhibition about police tactics and 
methodologies. And so they go Probably in. 200 police officers. Yeah, so they're going in. They've just robbed, like, it's the biggest robbery, uh, you know, of gold ever, maybe. And they're in the middle of all these police. And they're even, like, talking about how they're trying to find these guys at the exhibition. <laughs> it's, like, all over the news. <laughs> and Another bit of slapstick as they try to... Uh, uh avoid the police because they have snatched the one Eiffel Tower. Yeah, rather than trying to be stealthy about it, he just quickly grabs (laughs) the real one and drops off the fake one and runs off, and the little girl and the police officer are like, wait, hey, come back here, get those guys. So the chase is on. Well, he does a test and realizes that, oh, this is actually a gold statue, it's solid gold. And then I think the game is up at that point because that detective then starts following them and... Well, but they, first they have this elaborate car chase through London. Yes, and, and Dutch keeps misdirecting everybody because he's figured out the code, the number codes in the car they're in and keeps giving wrong information to the other cars in pursuit. A lot of crashes. And by, I think, by golly, they're going to get away with this. How could that? How can that be? But then at the last minute, they get stopped and found out and Al Pendlebury is, is captured and he... He throws the suitcase to Holland or he's to Dutch and he says, Dutch, run, run, get away. And so Dutch is running through the streets. And fortunately, he looks like every other guy on the street. He's got the exact same suit and hat and glasses <laughs> and bag. And he just blends in with the crowd. What are the odds of that, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, they all are just the same. I guess it's the, the style. And so it must now, have been the banking district. So let's see. Do we is that is that where we switch back to? Now we're back in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. He escapes to Rio with the six gold towers worth twenty five thousand pounds, which is enough to keep him for one year in the style to which he wanted to live. Yeah, he's he's finishing up the story <clears throat> at this restaurant, uh, and then they get up to leave, and. He's, He's handcuffed, handcuffed to this guy. <laughs> yeah. The whole time he'd already been captured and he was just regaling uh, the exploits of, of their plan to the police officer. And the police officer sort of like, he's in no hurry. He's like, Obrigado. Muito obrigado, senhor. It's your first visit to South America? Yes. I wish I could stay longer. It's a pleasant place. Senor, congratulations. A wonderful party. Thank you, senor. The president himself told my husband it was the occasion of the year. Oh, senora, I was going to send you this for your subscription list. The victims of the revolution. Perhaps I may be allowed to give it you now. Thank you, senor. Always so generous. The wife of Martin Gallardo, the frozen meat king. Very decent couple. Excuse me. Manuel. You can't stay till Sunday. I've got a horse in the jockey club stakes. He kind of is enjoying this whole thing. And he's even letting uh, Dutch spend all this money that he's got, which is stolen money, obviously. But he's like, well, whatever. (laughs) I like Rio. I'm in no hurry to go back. But off they go out into the prison. Well, we assume that's where he goes and 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 the film. However, you have an alternative. I do, I do. So I, I, I love the film up until the point where 
they start chasing those girls around Paris and, and London. And I thought that was just, it just felt super lazy to me in terms of the writing, because I think there's a much more interesting story to tell there where the, they do just let those girls go. And they're like, you know, forget it. We have like all this other money and let's just get out of here and, and get to, to uh, Brazil. And, and, and so after that scene, they're talking to the souvenir lady and they talk about how they're going to go to Brazil. So they, they say that out loud, kind of like a callback to where they're talking about all the money in the safe, you know? Yes. And, yep. and, they, and they don't realize that all these people are around them listening. And so the next scene is them on the ship to Brazil and they're toasting each other, kind of like a callback to the scene of the four of them celebrating how they uh, were successful with the heist. And then we cut back to London and the um, detective has figured out that both Dutch and Al are missing and that they live together in the same house and that they've, they've gone to Paris. So he goes to Paris and figures out, you know, he does a little detective work and figures out that all these uh, statues have been going to Paris and that's, the, that's like Al's job, right? So he goes to the Eiffel Tower and he talks to the souvenir lady and he says, oh yeah, they were here. They were real upset about something about these statues and this box that I had. And, and then they said something about Brazil. And the detective's like, aha, Brazil. So he gets on a boat and he goes to Brazil. <laughs> and then he, yeah. So then instead of a chase around London in this creepy scene with this girl who is like being called a girlfriend of this like 40 year old guy, which was just really weird. They do a chase around like Rio and they keep seeing like Al and, and Dutch keep seeing the detective. And he's like, and Dutch is like, that's the third time today that we've seen him. <laughs> Is he following us? Are we being followed? And then they get super paranoid and then they, they like make some mistakes. And so now they're, they're like, you know, the game is up and they, and then it ends with a big chase through Rio and then they end up getting caught. But I liked it. I just think that would have been more interesting than this weird thing with the girls at the school. It, it was just so odd. Robbing <laughs> a 10 year old. Okay. Yeah. The other thing that's a loose end for me is whatever happened to Lacry and Shorty? I'm, I'm assuming that they uh, are glad they didn't go to Paris and that they just kind of got out of the whole thing because I imagine that news got out that they were captured, right? And and unless uh, Dutch and Al rat them out, I think that they would be safe. Like, I don't think they would have been caught. They'd go back to their old lifestyle of petty theft. It's a, it's a, it's a fun movie overall because... It's really not violent, not, you know, it's not like nobody gets killed uh, and that sort of thing. So I, I enjoyed it on that level. I like the slapstick and I like the, the goofiness of his, of his 20 year plan of doing this robbery that they have to then execute in three days, you know, and like, what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> and so, yeah, I liked, and I loved Alec Guinness. He's great. And, and Stanley Holloway was super good in the movie too. I like your alternate ending because it gets away from that creepiness. Well, and it, it could have been a fun sort of little bit of detective work, you know, and, and it would have been fun to see the two of them kind of like freaking out about feeling like they're being followed, you know, and, and they could have. <laughs> I just think there's a lot of opportunity there for more slapstick. So I, I gave this uh, rating, uh, the, the movie, an eight on my rating scale. Very good, very watchable, enjoyable. I, I would I would say everybody that hasn't seen it or you may want to see it again. Oh boy, I, I I'm gonna 
diverge here. I'm I'm gonna say the first half of the movie was an eight, but then it got to be about a five or a four in the second so in the second half. So I kind of landed on a six overall. Okay. And I pr- I probably wouldn't watch it again just because I don't know. I just don't know that there's that much there to like get a second time unless. You know, they could remake it with an alternate ending. <laughs> or something. You know, they they tried to remake another one of uh, Guinness's movies, and it didn't do well in the box office. I forget the name of it, but uh, well, um, I have a I have a uh, trivia question about the film. Okay, if this is a good point, definitely. Uh, and and we've and somewhere in our discussion, we've given away the answer, so I think it's probably an easy one. For the Lavender Hill Mob, 1951, the director of the Lavender Hill Mob, which was which one of the following? Charles Crichton, Ralph Thomas, Emmerich Presserberger, Pressburger, or Gerald Thomas? Which one was the director of those four? And so the answer will be in our next podcast. And for those of you that caught all of our podcasts, that's a giveaway question. That's <laughs> yeah. one of those. That's, that's one of those that it's that's too an easy. easy one. Well, I think another trivia question for this movie could be: What was the name of Al Pendlebury's uh, business that was on the side of the the van? Oh, they gave part of the giveaway. Yeah, yeah, and that and and at one point in the movie, uh, the detective visits Dutch. And lists off four vans that were seen near the crime scene. And did he know of any of these vans? And and the name of the, of the company that Al Pendlebury runs is is on the side of one of those vans. So uh, it's kind of an important little clue there that could feed into my alternate ending. <laughs> it does. And even Al said that it seemed like a mistake to have that van go back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you should use a van that you use for your business in a heist of like thirty-seven million dollars <laughs> <Yeah>. of gold. <laughs> That's so so much money. You figure nineteen fifty-one. That was equivalent to about four hundred million dollars. Well, no, today's... the the amount was about three million in that. Oh, that's time. right. So You've I, already converted. I converted it, converted it converted uh, to yeah. twenty twenty dollars. Yeah, not a bad day's work. All right. Well. You can either go for the easy trivia question or you can go for the harder trivia question, but we'll have the answer in the next episode. And I mean, I've, I've watched more movies in the last three weeks than I had previously, like in six months, I swear. But hey, that's not a bad thing. I, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> we, we do what we do, eh? Yeah. All right. Well, that was our, that was our review of uh, The Lavender Hill Mob. And coming to you from sunny North Bend, it's Matt. And from Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everyone happy movie watching.